Welcome to Accessible Art History, the podcast, the best place for art history lovers or anyone that is curious. My name is Annalisa, and I'm here to share an incredible work with you. Just a quick reminder before we get started. All sources and images will be posted on the Accessible Art History blog. You can find the link in the episode description as well as on our Instagram at accessible.art.history. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get started. Welcome back to Accessible Art History, the podcast. It's finally time for season eight. This time around, I'm going to be discussing two of the most popular periods in art history, Impressionism and Post-Impressionism. To kick things off, I'm covering perhaps the most scandalous work on the show so far, Olympia by Edouard Manet. Painted in 1863, this work isn't technically Impressionist, but it did help set the stage for the movement. So to learn more, keep on listening. The name of this piece, Olympia, refers to the main character. She's a naked woman reclining on a couch. Her hand lazily protects her modesty, and only a couple pieces of jewelry and a flower in her hair adorn her body. The woman stares directly out at the viewer, almost challenging our gaze. It's bold, direct, and fairly inappropriate for the age. The bed is simple and clearly unmade. A maid servant has just entered the room looking to deliver flowers to Olympia, but she's uninterested and doesn't break her gaze. In the right-hand corner, we see a black cat arching its back. After examining the work, it's easy to see why it caused quite a stir on the Parisian art scene. The main reason is that Olympia is meant to represent a sex worker. Manet took the idea of the classical female nude and flipped it upside down and sideways. She's not afraid or ashamed by her nudity. She embraces it and proudly shows us her body. In addition, the name Olympia was commonly used by sex workers in 19th century Paris, and they were often associated with black cats, both being creatures of the night. In addition, her bold gaze was seen as the opposite of female modesty. It's confrontational and dominant, extremely uncommon for the depiction of the female form at this time. Finally is the maid herself. At the time that Manet painted this work, slavery had been outlawed in France for over a decade. But unsurprisingly, there were still a lot of racist ideologies floating around society. Some art historians believe Manet meant the maid to serve as a visual contrast to Olympia, but that comes with some very charged language. Many of these studies have come from the 1990s or later, so it's important to note that these were different times. It doesn't make anything excusable, but we have to make sure we look at it through the correct lens. As I mentioned a minute ago, Manet took the idea of the artistic female nude and flipped her on her head. One of his biggest sources of inspiration was the Venus of Urbino by Titian, painted around 1532. Titian's work also presents a reclining female nude, but she's meant to represent the goddess of love and fidelity. She looks modestly down and slightly away from the viewer, becoming demure instead of brash. There was a dog, a loyal creature, versus a cat, the creature of the night. Venus shows the good and pure side of love. Olympia shows the debauchery. On a personal note, I did get to see these two paintings side by side at an exposition in Venice in 2013. The resemblances and differences are striking, and I consider myself lucky to have seen them together. Other works that inspired Manet, though not quite as strongly, were Giorgione's Sleeping Venus, Goya's La Maja Desnuda, and Ang's La Grande Adalesque, a past podcast subject. You can see all these works on the blog post. Next, I'm going to cover the critical reception of this piece. But first, let's take an ad break. (music) 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey there, my name is Annalisa, and I'm the founder of Accessible Art History. As a part of my content offerings, I produce a podcast. For the first several seasons, I will be discussing 50 objects that shape the history of Western art. From prehistoric cave paintings to contemporary art, I'll be covering it all. The podcast was designed for everyone, from the casual couch historian to a museum's expert. It all fits within the larger mission of accessible art history, to create a space for art history lovers, students, and anyone who is curious to explore all periods of art history and human creation. New episodes drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to follow the Instagram page for all updates at accessible.art.history. All right, now that we're back, let's continue our examination of this work. As I mentioned earlier, Olympia caused quite a scandal when she debuted at the Salon in 1865. In fact, Manique was quoted as saying to his friend, Charles Baudelaire, a famous art critic in his own right, they are raining insults upon me. To be frank, <laughs> that pretty much sums it up. In his quest to modernize art, Manet had pushed the boundaries too far. By changing the ideas of the female nude, he had insulted centuries of academic and artistic tradition. But in a way, this was part of the artistic tradition in itself. Countless times on this podcast, I've discussed the many artists who took this step, knowing it could mean ruin for their careers. But art for the sake of process is a noble cause indeed. Looking at this work, it's a bit hard to classify it as Impressionism. It doesn't have the same sketched-in brushstrokes or bright light colors of Monet or Renoir. Despite this, I knew it was important to discuss this work because it serves as a bridge. Manet is often considered to be one of the seminal, transitional figures of art history because of his attempt to portray the figures that society often overlooked, sex workers, barmaids, etc. It was a commentary on class status inspired by the works of people like Courbet, another previous podcast subject. In looking at Manet's life, he was in an excellent position to make a statement on class issues of 19th century France. He was born on January 23, 1832. His family were members of the upper class with many political and social connections. Manet's father expected him to pursue law or a military career, but after he didn't pass the entrance test, his father relented and allowed him to pursue art. After receiving his blessing, Manet traveled across Europe to gain inspiration from the old masters. Throughout his career, Manet wasn't afraid to push boundaries of what was considered proper. By painting sex workers, nudity, bars, etc., he was essentially poking the bear. Works like Luncheon on the Grass of 1863, The Pfeiffer, 1866, and A Bar at Le Foyer Bergère, 1882, all showed elements of society that oftentimes got swept under the rug. He used physician to speak for those who couldn't. In 1863, Manet married Suzanne Lienhoff. She was two years older, and the two had been a couple for at least a decade prior. It was of a bit of a scandalous arrangement, though, as there were rumors that she had also been his father's mistress. 
In his mid-40s, Manet's health deteriorated, including suffering from partial paralysis in his legs. He traveled to various medical spas across France to seek treatment, but nothing really helped. Doctors thought it was simply poor circulation, but it was actually locomotor ataxia, a known side effect of syphilis. In April 1883, he had to have his left foot amputated because of gangrene, which was a complication of his illnesses. A mere 11 days later, he passed away in Paris. Manet served as the bridge from the past toward Impressionism. He wasn't afraid to push the boundaries set up by society and use his talents and position to give them a voice. This is exemplified by his work, Olympia. Make sure to tune in next week when I cover Luncheon of the Boating Party by Pierre-Auguste Renoir. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Accessible Art History, the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at accessible.art.history for updates and keep an eye out for our next episode. They drop every Monday on your favorite podcast platform.